And good morning. Y'all don't look any worse for the wear. You're surviving time change Sunday. We're going to make it right, get through this, and a nap is in front of us, and we're, we're all going to be good to go. Good to see you guys this morning, surviving yet another time change uh, this year. So we got that out of the way. Now we can, we can move on. Hey, before I move on too much, I meant to say this the last hour, and I forgot. I want to remind you all, be praying for Sue Osborne. Uh, you know Mike, our executive pastor here. Sue had... Uh, open heart surgery Friday morning and is doing great. Uh, she's, she's done really well in the first couple of days. So praise the Lord for that and uh, just be praying now in this whole transition out of the hospital and to home. I know a little bit about what she's feeling and going through right now. So be, be praying for her, be praying for Mike who takes care of her. Well, today is not only Time Change Sunday, but it also is something like a marker of one year in COVID. I don't know how everybody in the world marks it, but at least for churches, for pastors, it was this Sunday, it was next Sunday a year ago that that it all started to to change, that it began. I kind of wondered if I was the only one thinking this, but I've noticed a couple news stories this week, both on TV and in print, you know, starting to title things, A Year of COVID. And you know, as, as they do that, they're, they're going to look backwards, and rightly so. We need to look back and figure out what went on and how we responded, right? Wouldn't you like to think we learned something from 2020? And we need to look back, and we're going to measure things, and we're going to measure a lot of very measurable things. We're going to measure mass. We're going to measure vaccines. We're going to measure deaths. We're going to measure the number of people who got it. We're going to measure job losses. We're going to be able to look at some things very concretely and objectively and measure what the impact of COVID was as we look back. My, my concern is how are we going to measure this going forward? Because as great and as significant as the cost has been, I'm actually under the belief that the cost is going to be greater in front of us. We are living on empty. And that is going to affect our life. That is going to affect our relationships for a couple of years to come. Now, let me see if I can use this word loosely, scientifically back up what I just said. Look up on the screen. I don't know if you're familiar with the the Holmes-Ray Life Stress Inventory. And by the way, I know you can't actually read that. I just wanted to get the whole thing up there so you would know what I was holding. And times like this is a good place to remind people, if you're interested in looking at this closer, remember our church app, Sermon Notes, everything you see on the screen every Sunday uh, is in those sermon notes. And you can print it, take notes on it, share it, whatever. You can really manipulate it a lot. So anyway, if you want to look at this more, go to sermon notes in our church app. And if I asked you if you're familiar with this, my guess is we'd all be quick to say, no, I don't think so. But you, you probably are and don't remember. If you took a, a psychology class in, in high school or maybe like Psych 101, uh, if you open the book, I am assuming you opened your book during the course uh, looks like some of you maybe not so much, but 
if you open the book, you would have more than likely you would have found this chart in there. And so what this chart does is it tries to measure the impact uh, of the events that are normal in our lives in the course of 12 months. It, it measures the impact of that and assigns a point. It's not just bad things. It, it, good, bad, success, failure, happy, sad. It, it all has an impact. It all costs points. Now, I say that and the, all of the top ones are more in a negative sense. But like to, to give you an example, number one is death of a spouse. That, that's a hundred points. Uh, divorce. Uh, so obviously marriage has a pretty big impact on this. D- divorce is 70 Three points. Separation. Uh, all marriage related here. The top three. Uh, those are going to have heavy points. But then you drop down, like, say, to number 15. And it says major business readjustment. I'm not even sure what all goes into a major business readjustment. But if you think you had one of those, that's 39 points for, for going through that. Um, now, here's one that every one of us went through this year. If you lived in America, and I do know this is a worldwide event, but if you lived in America in 2020, you had a major change in working hours or conditions, right? And, and it, take out the word work and put school. A major change in how we do work, a major change in how we do school, you get 20 points for that, all right? And then, uh, hey, we made the list, major change in church activity, If you have a major change in the way you do church in the course of a year, you get 19 points for that. And uh, and then I think my favorite one on on here, major holidays. If you just were alive when Christmas happened, you get 12 points. That doesn't matter if it's a good Christmas, a bad Christmas, you experience Christmas. Now, I don't actually know. Is it 12 points for all the holidays together or 12 points for for each one of them. But nonetheless, there there it is, 12 points. So you say, well, what do all these points mean? I'm going to get to that. But before I do, I went through this list and like that that one I read, major changes in work hours or conditions. I'm going to, I mean, I don't know this for a fact. I'm going to assume that affected seven out of 10, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 Americans in 2020, right? Does that make sense? So I went through this list and I pulled out all of the things that would be true for every single one of us in going through COVID. Now, I'm not talking about if you had COVID. I'm not talking about if you experienced the death of a loved one or a close friend because of COVID. That's a, I'm not, because that didn't happen to all of us. I only included what I was pretty sure happened to every single one of us. And when you pull those things out, we are all sitting on somewhere between 100 to 125 points. And we didn't just go through COVID last year, did we? 2020, obviously COVID's a pretty big word in 2020. I'm pretty sure our presidential election amounted to something very unique in all of our lives and had an impact. The social unrest. I mean, think of these things. Think of the conversations, the disagreements, the arguments, all that, that went on with that. That's true for almost every single American. So I would actually, I didn't include, I didn't include the election. I didn't include social unrest. My guess is we're all sitting on more like 150 points. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, if you have under 150 points, it doesn't mean anything. Okay? But if you have over, remember, you got 150 points for one thing. Now, what's personal to you happens. 
If you have over 150 points, you have a 50% increased chance of a mental or physical stress breakdown. Now, breakdown sounds, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? It could be anywhere from, I was depressed for a week, to open heart surgery. A whole range of things that physically and mentally can go on to our lives. You've got a 50% increased chance of that. Listen to this. For the next two years. Everything may be fine now, but you went through 2020. So for the next two years, you have a 50% increase in a, in, a, in a mental or physical stress-related event. If you go over 300 points, you have an 80% increased chance of a physical or mental stress-related event. I'm sitting on, from last March to this March, 322 points. Now, I think I get 10 points for just now stopping and thinking about that as somebody who's had open-heart surgery. It's like, oh my gosh, it stresses me out to think about how stressed I am. But, but these points, for two years. Okay, so we're, I'm, I'm suggesting everybody in America, and I'm using the word everybody a little bit loosely, but not entirely. Everybody in America starting on 150, and then you deal with the loss of a family member. Then you deal with a confrontation, a problem at work, with bills that are a little bit out of control. Then you deal with a leaky water heater. Then you deal with a disagreement and on and on and on. And folks, we are at a reduced capacity. Our tank is empty for handling, processing, and responding to life. We, we are each and every one living on on empty. And I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think this is very concrete. I think it's quite scientific, personal to me, but but I think saying what is going on in our world. In the last three months, three months, I have worked with more families who've just walked through a suicide than I had in the prior 30 years of my ministry. Three months has exceeded 30 years. Where did that come from? And you know what? None of that would have a direct line to COVID. But every individual and every home is working with life on an empty tank. Listen, empty is real. The impact of empty is real. Now, here's, here's the good news. Here's the bad news. The good news is understanding this and knowing this is, and this is where we would say is like half the battle. I don't have a clue what percentage of the battle it is. But, but obviously, if I don't know there's an empty, then I, I don't pull over and get gas, right? I, I mean, I've got to know there's an empty so that I can do something about it. So knowing it is part of the battle. Now, here's the bad news, and I, I tell you folks, I think this is embarrassing to say as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a, as a churchgoer in America. Here's the bad news. I think you and I as churchgoers are less likely to acknowledge empty. I, I believe in the Lord. I, I have faith. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get empty. And if I do, I'm sure not telling you about it. Which, by the way, when we're living secrets and we're living lies, guess what that adds? Just more points. 
But we're not going to come in here and acknowledge that. The biggest fueling station God has put on this earth is the place we are least likely to acknowledge that we're on empty. Because we've attached a stigma to that, that that says, like, I don't really believe in God or I've got some sin that I'm, I'm hiding. I, wanna, I want us to think about this a little bit. I, I, uh, I want to start with the physical realm. Okay, we all, we, I think that's a little bit easy for us, easier for us to, to grasp and understand. So I want us to imagine that, that yesterday morning, we woke up, and uh, we, I came over to your house, and we together went out on a 10-mile run. I said we're pretending, right? Okay? So, and we're going to pretend we finished the 10-mile run, too. Okay? So we're going to go out on a 10-mile run. And I'm, I'm talking mostly to non, non-runners, right? We're, we're non-runners. For some crazy idea, we're out here doing a 10-mile run. Now, pretending that we got back to the house... You know, we're walking up the driveway, and I'm thinking a lot of us right now are thinking, boy, I'm, I'm done. I'm done for the day. And right now, some of you are thinking, no, I'm, I'm done for the week, actually. <laughs> but but we, we go inside, and boy, we get, ooh, boy, we get a nice, nice power breakfast. I mean, a couple, couple pancakes, some bacon, some eggs, got our little multivitamin there, big glass of juice, and, and some fruit, and we just get a good, healthy breakfast. And that's good, because you're not done for the day. We're going right back outside. Hey, it's spring, it's getting warm, all the leftover leaves and little twigs, and we're going to mow the yard. And I'm not talking about one of them fancy riding lawnmowers. No, no, we're pushing. Oh, well, okay, I'll give you the self-propelled one. But we're still, we're walking, you know, our little acre there and, and, and cutting the grass. And as we're doing that, boy, we're starting to notice, I have a lot more ice storm damage than I thought I did. And so, you know, I need to bring that down and cut that and take, you know, so when we get done mowing, now we're going to, we're going to start, we're going to get out the chainsaw and the saw and the wheelbarrow and we're cutting and dragging and burning and, and hauling. And I mean, we're, we're going to put five or six hours of, of yard work in. And when we get done with that, and I think now we're just running on pure adrenaline. I'm not sure why you would choose to do this, but we're, we're going to paint the garage. I mean, honestly, folks, I wouldn't paint the garage if I hadn't done any of these things today. But, but we're painting the garage now, okay? Okay, so now what, I don't know what time it is, 8 o'clock. And we go inside, and 100% of us, even the really good runners, 100% of us right now are going to say out loud to whoever in the house is listening, I am exhausted. And you know what? There's nobody in the house. There's nobody who's listening that is going to think less of you for being exhausted. Are they? I might wonder why you painted the garage after all that. But, but I'm not going to think anything. I'm not. You're exhausted? Oh, I wonder what's really wrong with them. No, of, of course you're. Anybody who does that, the, the muscles, they got so much in them. And then we're going to deplete it. And then the, the back. And then... Whew, okay, so we eat dinner, get a good dinner. We're going to go to bed. We're going to get a good night's sleep. But I'm going to get you up at 5 in the morning. Because we get up at 5 every morning, right? All righty. And so we're getting up at 5 in the morning, and we're going on another 10-mile run. And I, again, I know right now you're saying, Pastor, I'm not even sure I fin- finished yesterday's pretend 10-mile run. So how am I going out on a second one? Well, see, here's where we're not pretending. Life doesn't ever stop. You can have the longest, most difficult, hardest day of your life. And guess what? Tomorrow doesn't care. 
So in, in reality, we are now going to go out on another 10-mile run. And I am talking now to the non-runners. As you, as you, well, no, I'm talking to the runners too. I'm walking, I'm walking down the driveway, 15 more feet. I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to start, I'm going to start this 10-mile run. Do I have in the tank today what I had yesterday? No, not even close. That doesn't mean I can't do it, but I do not, not even the runners. You do not have, not after that day, you do not have in the tank as you start this 10-mile run. So some things are now going to be true. You're, you're a lot more likely to not enjoy this run. I mean, I was never going to enjoy the run to begin with. No, you're, you're, you're very likely, it's going to hurt. And I've actually experienced this. I mean, those first few steps, that first half a mile, it's going to feel like you just stopped the run yesterday. You're going to immediately feel like that again. I mean, you've got, you've got in a very much an increased chance of not enjoying this. You've got an increased chance of not finishing. And by a increased chance, I mean, you are likely not to finish this run. And you are quite likely, and I'm now really talking to the non-runners, you are quite likely to get injured. And so you go, not, not five miles out, you go a quarter of a mile out and say, no, the heck with this, I'm going home. And you turn around, you walk the quarter mile back home. And I see you, because I'm neighbors. I say, man, I thought you were going out on a 10-mile run. Oh, man, my hamstring, I think my Achilles is my, my back. I'm not going to think any less of you for that. Because I watched what you did yesterday. I know. I, I'm, not, I'm not going. There's, not, there's zero thoughts going through my head. Gosh, I wonder what's wrong with them. I wonder, if what, what, wonder what sins they're hiding. No, I, of course. You're exhausted. And yesterday had an impact on today. And, and we all understand that. Now, so folks, if we could just transition that entire story and let's take our muscles and our joints and our back and let's move it over here and let's make it our emotions. Think, think of your emotions as muscle and they're, and they're firing. Now, our, we, are, we are pretty much runners on emotions because emotions never stop. We're firing emotions 16, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, good ones, bad ones. We're, we're firing them all. So we're somewhat used to that. But do you know what 2020 did? It took all of us non-runners emotionally and put us running 10 miles a day. And we weren't prepared to run 10 miles. Matter of fact, I would actually, when I think of like last March, April, and May, I would say we were running a marathon a day. The confusion, the anger, the disagreement, the cancellations, the, the, the misunderstandings, the, the sickness. We were running a marathon every single morning. So I got blisters on my feet. I, I got muscles hurting that I never knew I had. And then emotionally, then you deal with life. Then, then you deal with the problems at work, the problems at home, the, the disagreements, the misunderstanding. Hey, you deal with the good things. And those emotions are firing and firing and firing. And guess what? In kind of a unique place in ministry, almost an entire nation is emotionally exhausted. Do you realize that emotional exhaustion is just another way of saying depressed? See, depressed has some baggage with it. 
But if I, okay, you know what physical exhausted is? Well, okay, now let's just think about it being emotionally exhausted. And we say, okay, okay, I, I kind of get that. Folks, depression is just hitting a place where I'm just emotionally exhausted. And you know, in the early stages of that, and a lot of us have been there, in the early stages, there's actually some pretty simple things you can do to kind of bounce back, to, to kind of fuel the tank. I mean, you know what? First of all, if all of us could just correct our sleeping patterns, because without even knowing you, I'm about 90% sure your sleeping patterns aren't helping any of the well-being in your life. And then your diet, that's not helping the well-being in any of your lives. So, hey, listen, for the next 21 days, let's focus on this with sleeping. Let's focus on this with eating. And somewhere in that 21 days, get a long weekend. Get along. I mean, just get away. Get away from everything three, four days. Just go, go somewhere that's your happy place and, and have a nice long weekend. And you know, most of us, most of the time, we're going we're gonna to bounce right back. There's nothing like a good, a good meal and a good nap. And we can bounce back. Now, what clinical depression is, and by the way, this is not my goal uh, today. This is not what the sermon's about. And I am not trained in this. I'm not a licensed counselor. So I'm, somebody out there somewhere pretty soon is going to be thinking, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. But I don't think I'm far off. Clinical depression, okay, what happens there is all these emotions are firing. And maybe we hit a severity of something or we hit something like last year where the emotions never turn off. And, and just think, you got these different highways in your body that certain hormones and chemicals run. And, and there's a gate that just opens and closes, letting, them, letting these things run. And all of a sudden, there's this emotion or this situation just pounding that one gate to death, just pounding it. And guess what? All of a sudden, that gate gets stuck. And all of a sudden now, you know what? A nap's not going to fix this. A a, a long weekend is not going to fix this. Sometimes I can actually end up in a place now where I'm going to need some other things. I'm going to need some help because there's actually something broken, physically broken. And folks, I think all of America is living right in and around. I'm using the phrase an empty tank, but we're all living in and around depression, possibly even a clinical depression. It's going to affect our health. It's going to affect how we respond. It's going to affect how we relate. And, and it's, this is, hey, the clock starts now for two more years. Like I said last week, hey, let's wave a wand and, and COVID and everything about it is gone. It's just gone. Tomorrow morning we're learning COVID is gone. And we, we're going to be paying for that for two years in our relationships and in our health and in how we process life. Empty is real. And the impact of empty is real. You know, I, I, I think just understanding this and knowing this, I think two things that, that, that come to my mind, and again, this isn't really what the message is about today, but that we have to respond and know. Number one, be careful with each other, right? Be, be careful with the people in your home. Be careful with the people you work or go to school with. Be careful with the stranger on the street. You should absolutely assume that person is on empty. And I know right now you're thinking about, well, that person was a mean, nasty cuss before 2020. Well, now they're a mean, nasty cuss on empty. Well, not them. I, I, I was, man, I'm jealous of him, man. I talked to him the other day, happy and successful. He was talking about things going on at work and just looks like all of his relationships. I see you and I will size people up and say, well, they're not on empty. I'm looking at this. They, they're fine. Folks, you can be happy and be on empty. 
I'm not saying that person's faking it. Some of them are. But I'm not saying they're faking it. I'm saying you can be walking around with a smile on your face and, and relationships and work and life is fine and be right on empty. You know, here's the funniest thing. I tested this out this week. Do you know I cannot tell one bit of difference in my truck when I pull into the gas station and when I pull out of the gas station? I can't, as I'm driving, I can't tell one difference between full. Is that full? Full. So I'm not trying to get it from y'all's angle. I can't tell one difference from full to empty. And you know, the people who design cars know I can't tell the difference. So what do they do for me? What do they do? They put a little gauge there. So I can see it going from full to empty and do something about it. And knowing how smart we are that we'll ignore it. They then add to the little E, they add a little light. And you know what the little light is saying? I'm not kidding. Seriously, like you're going to be on the side of the road in a moment. You know, I'm not sure how that illustration works with our bodies, but I think it's similar. You know, God has put gauges and warning signs in us to know. And because I'm Superman and, and I'm strong in the Lord, I can ignore the signs. Or I just dismiss the signs. And, and we don't acknowledge them. And all we're doing is setting ourselves up to have the opportunity to move from depression over here to clinical depression. Man, folks, don't look at people and size them up as being full or empty. I, really, for the next two years, you see somebody assume they're on empty. Be careful. Be, care, be careful with the stranger. Be careful with the person you love the most. And I, and I would add this to this. I think, man, here, here's the good news. You want to want to know one of the great tank fillers is when you give yourself to filling tanks. When you're filling other tanks, you're filling your own tank. But folks, this week, next seven days, see how many tanks you can fill. I, I say fill. I don't know how much you'll put in their tank. But, but see how much a word of encouragement, a word of gratitude, a hug, letting somebody know that you know, letting somebody know that you see, letting somebody know that you hear, letting somebody know that you pray. Hey, it puts a little in the tank, right? Empty is real and its impact is real. I can prove that by experience and I can prove that by science. But, but hey, what about, what about the scripture? I mean, again, a lot of us live under this faulty, faulty idea that if I'm a, if I'm a Christian, if I believe the Bible, I'm not, I'm not on empty. That, that can't happen. You know, one of my favorite verses, I, I have loved this verse since, uh, well, I, I can actually put a date on it, 1982. Y'all remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Some of you old enough to remember that movie. That's my favorite movie. It's a running movie. And, uh, but 1984, and in that, in that movie, this verse was, was quoted and it was kind of made real meaningful. Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They're, man, they're going to mount up like wings on eagles. They're going to run and not grow weary. They're going to walk and not faint. And don't you love that idea? Hey man, God, God wants for me a rejuvenated life, a restored life, a rested life. If that's not a verse that says God wants for me a full tank, 
Man, I got to stop. Now, we got, we, that's almost another message. What does stopping mean? And, and actually, we can't stop life, right? It keeps coming, whether we're worn out or not. But I, I got to stop, and I need to wait. And that's a message. What do we do while we're waiting? What's going on while we're waiting? What do we try to understand and pray while we're waiting? But, man, we're going to stop. We're going to wait on the Lord. And, and then here it comes, man, new life new strength. Listen, I think that's such a beautiful idea. I love that idea. I believe that idea. I've experienced, I've experienced that idea. But that verse by itself is not a complete picture. And that's not me critiquing that verse. God is saying, that's not the full picture. Now I want you to understand that. What do you mean that's not the full picture? Well, the scripture says, they who wait on the Lord. But it also says in Psalm 69 verse 3, I am weary. I am weary from crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim. In the scripture, the eyes growing dim is the light's going out of my eye. Hope is going out of my eyes. Life is going out of my eyes. As, wait a minute, with... With waiting for God? Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute, Lord, you, you just told me that you just told me that if I wait on you, you're like an eagle. I, I don't know about y'all, but weary and parched and growing dim, that doesn't sound like an eagle to me. That, I don't, that doesn't sound like rest or renewal or re, what, what, did, did God not see this guy? It, was this guy waiting wrong? What, what happened here? What, what fell apart? You know, it's, it's, I, I think it's in that word waiting. You know, <laughs> when it says they who wait on the Lord, I don't know about you, but I almost immediately get, to, okay, if I do this, then immediately this happens. But if something immediately happens, then I'm no longer waiting. Now, if I'm waiting for five minutes... Okay, I can handle that. Five years? That's a little bit different, isn't it? You know, again, there's like a hundred messages in this message. What's happening in the waiting? Where's God? What's going on? You know what, folks? In waiting, God is teaching. In waiting, God is testing. Sometimes in waiting, God is disciplining. I can't always tell. I certainly don't always know why this waiting is happening and maybe why it's getting so long. But I think what we see in the psalmist is is that in that waiting, there can be empty. As a matter of fact, Psalm 69 is a long psalm. If you go on to read the whole thing, you're going to hear the psalmist say, say, I I am... uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I'm in despair. And he says, there is no comfort. Some of you have been there. You know what that line means, don't you? I don't feel good. I don't remember feeling good. I can't ever imagine feeling good again. I, I, Again, I'm not a professional. I'm pretty sure all three of those statements come from a person that is emotionally and mentally exhausted, depressed. And yet we get to verse 30 and he starts praising God. Not because something's changed, not because something's right. He just switches and he starts praising God for what will. 
what will, the salvation that will come. You see, waiting will be rewarded. Waiting will produce, will give to us what we need. But folks, in the waiting, depression, being overwhelmed, those, those things can be very real. By the way, you know who the psalmist is, don't you? It's King David. And we're talking about like, I'm guessing if I said write down the top five Bible heroes, I'm guessing David would make most of our list. He loves God. He trusts God. He has trusted God and seen God show up in big ways. There's no lack of, I don't know the reality of God. I'm not, he not, and yet here he is. Empty, scripturally, empty is real. And the impact of empty is real. One, one other person, just real quickly. Elijah. Elijah, also a pretty big character in the Bible. I don't know that we would call him as quickly as we would David because his story is so much shorter. But some of the most dramatic miracles in the Bible happen through the person of Elijah. Take five minutes today and read his story in 1 Kings 18 and 19. And what you will see is a setup for depression. You see an emotional roller coaster. Folks, sometimes things come on us over a long period of time, over like a whole year of 2020. And it may be 2023 before I'm actually saying, my eyes grow dim waiting on you, Lord. I mean, it can happen over a long time. Sometimes, boy, it comes on us like lightning. Maybe it's the severity of the event. Maybe it's things that were, you know, the status of my tank already when that thing hit. Sometimes it happens overnight. Elijah is an example of that. He experiences this huge victory. Remember, victory and failure, they all rack up points. He experiences huge victory. He has a confrontation. Confrontation is always a point. Always points for confrontation. He has this, this huge confrontation on Mount Carmel with another God. My God versus your God. Me versus 450 prophets. And, and boy, I'm, gonna, I'm just shortening this story here. But Elijah it ends up calling fire down from heaven. The fire comes down and consumes the offering and the other 450 prophets. Now that's victory right there. <laughs> you looking at 450 bodies. I won. Hey, I bet some of us, I do. Every now and then, don't you, God, God, would you do something like so that the whole world in one moment knows we're right? That's probably a little selfish way to think of it that way. But, I mean, that, hey, that's a big victory for Elijah. I mean, everybody knows our God is God. And then, and then God says, hey, Elijah, right from, right from that event, I want you to go to King Ahab, who's not the most savory character in the world. Go to King Ahab and tell him it's going to rain. And you, what does that have to do with emotions? Well, it hadn't rained in three years. They're, they're in a severe, severe drought and things that come with that like famine. And so, hey, that's a high. I get to deliver good news. It, hey, hey, we all like giving good news out. So he goes and he tells King Ahab, hey, it's, it's going to rain. And, and then he leaves and he's, he's out, he's outside, he's moving on. And in comes Jezebel, who's even more unsavory than her husband. And Jezebel loved those prophets, and she loved that other God, and she hates Elijah. And King Ahab says, hey, Elijah was just here. Your buddy Elijah just came through. 
And she finds that out, and she sends a messenger after him, and she says, because she's still thinking about what happened out on Mount Carmel, and she says, I'm going to kill you. And to be really clear here, you'll be dead by tomorrow. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that would raise my anxiety level. Right? When the government, when somebody who has the ability, has the authority to kill me, says, by tomorrow, you're dead. So he's, no real shocker here, he's afraid. And he runs. Not metaphorically, literally. He runs from one town to the next. And by the way, I kind of separated muscles over here and emotions over here. But I'll tell you something, physical exhaustion and emotional exhaustion absolutely work hand in hand. They, they feed each other and make the situation worse. So now we, he, he's physically exhausted and he's emotionally exhausted. You say, how do you know he's emotionally exhausted? Because in verse 5 he says, Lord, would you kill me? I don't want to live. Now again, I'm, I'm not a licensed counselor. This is not my training. But I'm going to step out on a limb and say, Elijah's not in a good place. Right? <laughs> when your prayer becomes, kill me, I don't want to live. You're in a bad place. And he goes on to pray in verse 10. He says, I'm the only one. Now, you know, the funny thing is there is a little bit of truth to that. A little bit. There's a little bit of truth to that. There may be a little bit of truth to that in your life. But, folks, here's a fact. Here's one of those warning signs, one of those blinking lights. When you've got a mantra going inside you, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one working. I'm the only one that sees. I'm the only one that understands. When that mantra is playing in you, you're in a bad spot. That's like the little yellow light next to the E. You really need to pull over because you're about to end up broken down. So God shows up and you know what God says? You're not the only one. Get over yourself. And unfortunately, I think that's the only thing the church sometimes sees. If somebody's broken down, if somebody's emotionally exhausted, oh, you know what the problem is? They're not living by the truth. We need to give them the truth, tell them to have faith in the truth. Now get over yourself. And by the way, God didn't actually use those words, get over yourself. Okay? But we stop right there. You know what? Elijah did need to hear the truth. You know, when we're getting emotionally exhausted, we actually do start to lie to ourselves. With things like, I'm the only one. And so he says, you're not the only one. You're not even close to being the only one. But then you know what he did? He told him, here's some food, take a nap. Because empty is real. He didn't chastise him for being empty. And then bigger than the nap and the food, although a nap and some food is real, (laughs) he brings him help. So a lot of the story we're familiar with is Elijah with a J. Now we're going to meet Elisha with an S. See, God looked at Elijah's life, empty Israel, the impact of empty Israel, and he brings him a partner, a co-prophet, and they're going to work together. I think we can say... For those who love God, who are trying to trust God, who are trying to walk with God, that scripturally, yes, in this world, empty is real. And the impact of empty is real. And yes, folks, there are times when sin is the problem. There's no greater drainer of a tank than sin. 
Because there's no greater drainer of a tank than lying. And if you're sinning, you're lying. Because you have to lie to cover sin. And we, in the church, we tend to focus on that part of it. What I'm trying to show you today is, yes, that may be a reality, but boy, there's a lot of brokenness and there's a lot of emptiness that's not directly related to the wrong thing that person did, to their sin, to their lack of faith, to their lack of love for God. David, I'm pretty sure, loved God. Elijah, I'm pretty sure, loved God. As a matter of fact, I'd go out on a limb and say, Elijah and David love God better than you and I do. And they followed God and they stepped out in places that required real faith, maybe much more than you and I do. And both of them get depressed. Empty Israel. So next week, we're going to come back and we're going to look at a, a sure, full, bulletproof method for never getting empty. And that's not real. Don't come back for that next week. That would be a great follow-up to everything I've said today. But I can't offer that because God doesn't offer that. In a broken, fallen world with nothing but broken relationships to live in, we're, we're going to experience emptiness. Does God, have a, does God know that? Does God have a plan for that? Does God have a design for living in, in, in where we can hit empty? And, and yes, he does. And we're going to understand the role that plays to our well-being, the role that plays to, to responding to empty. And I want, to, I want to put a word out here for us, folks, and I want you to think about, because we, I think I'm real close to saying this, we are 100% united in thinking about this wrongly. God has for you and I rest. Not because we're broken, not because life is hard and difficult. He had rest for us as a gift in a perfect world. And he called it the Sabbath. What comes to your mind when I say Sabbath? Let me tell you something. I've been thinking about the Sabbath a lot. I'm sitting on 322 points. And I think very few Sabbaths do I come close to recognizing and using the gift that God has given me in the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, you know what most of us do? It's, we're, we're harried getting to church. It's work to get to church for our hour. And then we're going to charge home. And we're going to go full steam into getting ready for tomorrow. Getting ready for the week ahead. Knock out some of the things that I need to do. When you hear the word Sabbath, what do you think that is? What do you think is supposed to happen on that day? Think about that this week, and let's come back next week. And, and it's going to be a little bit more than that, but that is going to be the, the kind of the crux, the center of where we're going to be is understanding what God has given us, the regular gas station. And this is not about you need to go to church. But God's given us something with the Sabbath. And if we ignore that, it doesn't matter what other list you follow to fuel your tank. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the word in the book of Hebrews that tells me Jesus is my Sabbath. Jesus is my rest. 
Lord, I want to understand that and I want to live it because empty is real and it's, it's in me, it's all around me. And, and I want to experience the fullness in Christ. I want to experience, when, when I experience empty, I want to, I want to respond rightly and do rightly because God, I want, I want everybody around me to see the fullness of being in you. I want everybody around me to see you are our rest. You are our Sabbath. Lord, I I pray every one of us would go into this week, have a few moments where we think about what the Sabbath is, and I pray every one of us would go into this week and fill some tanks. Holy Spirit, would you help us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.